Welcome to Intrepid Media, the show for the business professional. Here, we're going to talk about business topics such as leadership, sales, marketing, HR, innovation, strategy, and technology. But we're also going to riff about lifestyle too and help you look better, feel better, and live better. This show is everything the modern business professional needs, from the C-level executive to the millennial. So let's get on with the show. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Lifestyle. I am your host, Todd Schnick. Yeah, this is going to be another one of those conversations. It's actually a timely conversation as we record this near the end of 2016. A good time to think about some of these things that we're actually going to be talking about today as you're beginning to look ahead to the new year. But it's also one of those conversations that doesn't really freaking matter when you have it because the lessons here are important and applicable to any time of year. So going to be a great conversation. I'm joined today by Holly Bach. She is the author of a new book called Life Incorporated, A Practical Guide to Wholehearted Living, and she's the founder of Life Incorporated. Hallie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me here. Uh, the pleasure is mine, Hallie. I appreciate you making time to join me. you got a big book launching in just a couple of weeks, so very, very exciting stuff. So I do appreciate you stopping by and giving us some time. Uh, before we get into the conversation about this new book, Take a few quick seconds. Tell us a bit about you, your background, and the work that you're doing out of Life Incorporated. Absolutely. I've got a very eclectic background. I spent some time on a factory trawler up in Alaska in the Bering Sea when I was fairly young and then moved on to you know my professional career. I started in film and video production and was then hired by a high-tech company. I'm out in Seattle, so we have lots of those around here. Was was hired by a high-tech company to basically do the same, produce a lot of large events, original programming for their online media assets. I then left that and started my own branding and design and media agency. And I found that I enjoyed running a business as much as I loved producing events because really a business for me, that process was essentially a massive production with just you know an unending timeline. And, and I always liked working with the dynamics of large crews and large teams and, and pushing towards a vision. So I then sidestepped into the leadership development field and was the president and CEO of an organization that taught leaders and employees how to create better relationships through the art and skill of conversation. And in the meantime, was also building that company and applying a lot of those same skills. And it was through that work and some insights that I had there that I then left that to write this book and work in the more personal transformation field. All right. Well, you were not kidding. You said eclectic background. That's great stuff. And I've interviewed thousands of people, Hallie. Uh, I've never had anyone indicate that they've spent time on the Bering Sea. That may be a new one. <laughs> Uh, for, the, for the platform here. So very, very intriguing. So, all right, well, good stuff. So let's get into this book. So again, it's called Life Incorporated, A Practical Guide to Wholehearted Living. So I ask some variation of this question to most people I interview who have written a book on a topic that, that let's just say, if you were to go to Amazon and say, hey, find me some titles that talk about how to improve my life or to have a more connectivity or more contentment or more happiness or more mindfulness or more purposefulness, all those things. There's a lot of titles there, a lot of mm -hmm. material out there. Why did the world need uh, Hallie's uh, take on this? <laughs> 
Well, I think, you know, it's, I, I think about the musical scale and there are so many, only so many notes on that scale, but how you put those together, the song that you create will resonate with some people versus another. And so that's why I think, you know, multiple authors in the same genre speaking about the same thing is great because, you know, it will strike you in a different way. My take on this was, you know, I... I had spent over a decade in leadership development and was very successful as a business leader myself and learned a lot about human dynamics, especially the, the sort of trepidation we have about really creating authentic, deep connection with others. The more technology we have, the more we tend to hide behind it. And um, the more fearful we've become sort of as a society of coming out from behind the you know electronic curtain and actually looking eyeball to eyeball. And and training in that for over 10 years and, and giving people the skill, really teaching them, okay, here's how you have a conversation. Instead of managing people by systems, let's, let's actually have a relationship here. I began to see that, you know, we're not just struggling with how to create connection with other people. Yes, that is a challenge for many. But what I started to see was a real discomfort and real lack of connection with self. And this really struck me. I started to see a lot of sort of grasping and people weren't sure why they wanted to connect with others. It was to feel good. And I started to ask questions about why they were in the job, you know, why this was important. And, and the answers weren't very meaningful. And again, having been a business leader and either having sat on many panels or uh, more importantly, listen to panels of really highly successful entrepreneurs and CEOs. Inevitably, the question of, you know, why were you so successful? You know, if you could attribute it to one thing, what would it be, you know, comes up? And, and the answer is always the same. It's, I did what I was passionate about. So to, to be successful, you have to have connection with, with not just, you know, it doesn't start outside with your team, with others. It has to start with yourself. You have to know what turns you on, what fires you up, what is your passion. Go do that before you then start rippling out to others. And, and so Life Incorporated for me was an attempt at, yes, there are a lot of books that do deal with all the different aspects that can create a fulfilling life like health you know we can read a book about you know uh, leadership passion or what to do with your life uh, we can we can read a book about relationships and that's important to do it's important to do those deep dives but what we really need to be mindful of is is having all of that in front of us and understanding that our lives in and of themselves are ecosystems. And so we can't just tend to one bucket, sort of read a book on, on health and well-being and go deep in there and ignore all the other facets of our life when we don't tend to something, when we deny it or ignore a facet of our life, whether it's our relationships, whether it's our, our physical well-being, whether it's how we spend our days you know, at our vocation, when we deny one or pay less attention to it, the rest eventually will suffer. So my, it's my you know, attempt in this book is to bring it all under one umbrella. It's a big umbrella, but to just have it you know, in everyone's sort of dashboard view and also, I'm the kind of person, I don't want you to just tell me about why something's a good idea. I'm a real practical girl. So give me the how. And so that's why the practical guide. There's a lot of how to in this book to put 
wholehearted living on its feet. Well, I have, there's two main problems with what you talked about there in that when you say, all right, you got to do something you're passionate about that you care about, I think most people can't identify that. You can ask them, hey, what are you passionate about? And they, they, I, I think there's too many people that don't know how to answer that. And then the, the secondary, and I think the bigger problem, is that they may know that answer, but they don't have the courage. They think, yeah, it's not really okay for me. I sh- I'm expected to go to this corporate job from 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. I, I, it's not right for me to pursue that. How have we gotten into a position where that's even possible in today's day and age? How have we gotten into, can you repeat the question? No, I'm just saying, I think there are people, I think there are some people that can't identify what gets them Mm. excited and what makes them passionate. And then even those, and then there are those that do, but they're afraid to actually go after it. Why? How how have we let that happen? You know, we, especially Americans, we are, you know, we pride ourselves, you know, if we're type A, we pride ourselves on that. We pride ourselves at the end of the year, you know, when somebody says, hey, what did you accomplish? It sounds a lot more sexy to someone in the society to say, hey, oh, yeah, you know, I wrote two books and I launched a business. Rather and than I someone- improved productivity <laughs> by 72% and yes, we increased exactly. sales by it. Instead of saying, yeah, I climbed Everest. Yeah, yeah, right. Because <laughs> that's what I, I wanted logged- to do. I logged 5,000 miles, you know, on my bike, all these, you know, everything is very number sort of metric achievement based, you know, when somebody says, well, I read a lot of books, you know, this is not very exciting. It's like, oh, but what did you do? You know, and these, these are, you know, for that person, that's very nurturing. That's what they're connected to. That's, that's their passion. They understand that. But when we, you know, it's humans overall, we, the, the ego doesn't like itself. We're constantly comparing ourselves against others. And that began, you know, that was a good sort of evolutionary tool for us when we were running from saber-toothed tigers and then when we were in small clans and defending and protecting against other small clans, we always had a, it wasn't just a perceived threat, they were real threats. And now in this day and age, we don't have those so much. We are much more a collective society, but our brains haven't done away with the need for making an enemy, whether they're real or unreal. And and oftentimes we make ourselves the enemy. We make ourselves lacking some way, somehow. If we don't have someone to pick on, we pick on ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I'm really good at that. <laughs> and so yep. one of the things that makes us feel better is to go do what everybody else is doing. You know, is to sort of, you know, slipstream into what's happening now, what the guy or the girl down the the street has or is doing because they seem happy. So that's going to that's going to make me happy. I'll be more like them, less apart. And we think that that's going to resolve this sort of inner strife that we have going on. And so we just, you know, pummel, pummel that, you know, way of life. And and we're trying to create fulfillment or trying to be whole when the, the, the catch is we already are. I mean, we were born complete. It's this, you know, misnotion we have that we now somehow are lacking because we've been out there comparing. And the only one we can compare against is ourselves. We've forgotten that. So we toss out our passions. We don't know how to connect because we get so distracted with what's going on outside because we identify that with success, that with happiness. See, you led off this entire conversation, this very interview by saying, I have an eclectic collection of experiences. I think that's your secret. I think that's why you have been able to forge 
a direction that is one that's of meaning and exciting and passionate. And I think most people, myself included, went down a very well-worn path out of out of the gate. And to me, it was a path to, to just misery and torment. And, and once I finally got off the track and did some different things and tried some different things that people didn't necessarily say, oh, wait a minute, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, is when I finally found contentment. So, I mean, I think this idea of making your life <laughs> one that you would describe as eclectic, I think it's part of the part of the key to success and happiness, is it not? Yeah, I would agree. It's really easy to get stuck in a rut or, or let the uh, mud bake around our feet to become soup <laughs> is right, another way to right. say it, you know, and we have to keep stirring the pot. There is something really helpful about being uncomfortable. Yeah, I think of uh, Stuart Brown, who is a psychiatrist who founded the uh, National Institute of Play. And back in 1966, when Charles Whitman opened fire at the University of Texas, and at that time, it was the largest, you know, mass murder of any time. Stuart Brown was part of a, a huge study, the biggest of its time, to understand what creates killers like a Whitman. And what Brown found was that all of the subjects they studied, mass murderers, had a real restricted level of play growing up. They had overbearing, controlling parents. They weren't allowed to exercise their imagination. And I'm not saying this to say, okay, if you're not playing right now, you're going to become a Charles Whitman. That's not the point. But what Brown found is that the concept and the ability for humans to retain their ability to play, which is to surprise themselves, which is to get lost in something, to, to do something you know that you are passionate about, that you can't predict, is really essential to our ability to adapt to change. It's also essential to our evolution, and it's one of the things that makes humans you know, what they are. We, we don't, we see some other animals doing this, but not to the level that humans have the capacity to. And so if we can allow ourselves that ability to, to play and, and not look at work, I mean, we, we see the word work versus play, they're usually in, in opposition. A quote I love by Stuart Brown is the opposite of play isn't work, it's depression. <laughs> yes. So we shouldn't be comparing play to work, you know, like, well, this is my job. So it's not subject. Or I can't inject play into that. Yes, you can. And yes, you should. And you should inject as much of it into your life as possible. Take the pieces. You know, you've got this great puzzle that you've crafted now. What pieces can you move and lift? You look at your avocation. Look at how you spend your time away from your job. If your job really is something you cannot let go of right now, you know, at least start creating a vision. What would be something you'd like to kind of straddle over to? But then look at how you're spending your other time. How can you break those pieces up and introduce play and, like you said, you know, create that more eclectic life? Well, as you said, that spirit of play is what enables you to more more readily accept and certainly instigate change. I, I think it makes you more creative and certainly more innovative. And and why when an organization is saying, "Wow, we're just we're just stuck in a rut here," it's because they don't have that mindset of playful change. And, and, and unfortunately, yeah. our society is such that playful change in a work environment, oh, that's a negative. 
And that's unfortunate. If, if I still manage people and, and I no longer do, and, and, and I certainly didn't do this when I did, it's unfortunate, but I would bring recess <laughs> back, in, <laughs> yeah. back into the, to the workday because I think that letting loose and kind of freeing the shackles allows the mind to just wander. And that's when really magical, cool stuff happens. And that's uh, it's just, you know, boy, it's, I feel like there's a movement that, that you're starting to see more of that, but but not not quick enough. Uh, I, I, you talked about it earlier, and you've and you, and I've heard you talk about it before that we live in this hyper connected world, but we are more disconnected than ever. Mm. Talk more about that. I mean, connectivity is everything for a human being, uh, but uh, but therein lies the issue that we just talked about. How do we how do we break through that? Uh, yeah, you know we. Uh... Technology, I mean, like I said, I love high tech. I, I cut my teeth in the professional world in high tech, and I was a thumb smashing Atari player at the age of, you know, 10 or whatever. So I love, I love technology. And it has its place. You know, I, I think right now, a lot of, well, I don't think, I know right now, a lot of adults, and I'm seeing it now go younger and younger, are using social media as a surrogate for relationship. And while that is one kind of relationship, it isn't the deep, you know, the, the, the relationships that we need to cultivate in order to um, learn and, you know, embody um, compassion and empathy. We don't get that from social media. We can get it to a degree, but for the most part, it's a very quick fix. And, and if there's, there's an addiction to it mostly because whenever we check our phone for any kind of not notification, whether it's our email or our social media, gee, did we get any likes, do we have any new followers, any retweets, we're getting a dopamine hit in our brain, which is the neurotransmitter in the reward center. So it's a very feel-good chemical that we get in our brain, and it's highly, highly addictive. And when you know, back in the day when Skinner did his studies with rats, you know, he, he set up two scenarios. The, the rat would push a paddle. Every time that paddle was pushed, it would be delivered a food reward. And over time, that rat started to, those rats in that situation started to ease off the paddle. Whereas in the other scenario, it was sporadic. So they would push the paddle. Sometimes there would be a food reward. Sometimes there wouldn't. Those rats became more and more and more frantic because they were looking and searching for that, you know, that chemical hit. And I see, you know, we talk about the rat race. Um, I see this in social media. This is a lot of what we're doing. And we've become so focused and myopic. Uh, a lot of us don't know. I actually found it really helpful when I found out that there was some chemicals happening in my brain that helped explain why it is so difficult for me to put away my phone uh, <laughs> or why it is that I want to turn it and sneak a peek when I've got my kid on my lap. You know, I, I, I thought there's something really wrong with me. Or it's you're just you're just sitting there staring at your Facebook page and just hitting refresh and refresh yeah, and refresh like, saying somebody's going to gonna like this thing right now. Yeah, that's what that's exactly. what you're seeking. I mean that's a, yeah, I get it. Look, we've all done it and no, I did it this morning. The the, <laughs> the how do we break free from that? Because I think that's holding us back. There is you can get you can achieve the same thing with like you know real live flesh human interaction, right? And that that can be more more meaningful, well, obviously it can be, but it also makes you more satisfied with with life and business and in, in, in general, yeah? 
Absolutely. You know, it's, it's the analogy of scuba diving versus uh, snorkeling. You know, with social media, with our relationships, we can only go so deep when we play online and when we sort of hide out or hang out there. And, and if that's the only way we're doing relationship, then we are only creating some very f- quick fixes, which are not sustainable. And we'll, we will be like Skinner's rats. We'll be needing more and more and more. You know, there's just no long-term fulfillment to that. Uh, we have to keep hitting that paddle, you know, frequently. Whereas when we are, you know, in person, even over the phone, you know, sensing somebody's energy, tone of voice, you know, just again, developing and taking part in what it is, you know, what makes relationships meaningful, which is that that capacity for empathy, compassion um, on both sides, then we're scuba diving, right? We're going deep. We can we can look under stones. We can learn things about ourselves, about, about others. We start to comprehend the world around us, you know, in, in a different way. We can be impacted. And those, those encounters, you know, when you think back about the conversations um, and the encounters that you've had that have been really mean, meaningful that you still remember, I bet you none of them came through social media. I bet you all of them, you know, you were probably eyeball to eyeball over a glass line or, or somewhere or in the rain running, you know, creating these really bonding memories. Yeah. Those create long-lasting fulfillment. Right, right. That's where the potential is. Well, it goes to what you, I've also heard you talk about, and we don't have time to get into it today, but this, you know, it's the idea of long-lasting deep contentment versus short-lived bursts of momentary gratification those are very mm-hmm. different things and and one affects you long term and one one actually leaves it leaves you way short we're low on time i have a couple more things i want to dive into i've heard you talk about this idea that you have to live life from the inside out what do you mean by that yeah you know when we try to fix ourselves from the outside in it's it's you know a lot like putting plaster on a, a facade you know, we might look good from the outside, but if you go in, there's <laughs> there's there's no one there. You know, or it's tumbleweeds. There's really no structure holding holding us up. So by that I mean, you know, we can either through consuming consumer products or getting accolades at work. You know, we do a lot of things to make ourselves feel good, and and in this belief that by propping ourselves to look good from the exterior will make us feel good inside. And we find that that, that that isn't fulfilling. It's like all the lottery winners that end up usually more depressed than those that did not win. Those strategies don't work. Humans only can, you know, connect to uh, long-term fulfillment that is self-generated, right, through creation of, of one's own. So through the inside out is really starting with yourself and, and I would term it, and I do in the book, your inner life, you know, the state of your emotional and spiritual well-being. You know, how do you relate to yourself is, is really the first place to start. And, and through the, the practice of, of mindfulness, there are great ways to sort of put yourself into perspective right. um, instead of running away from that. And mindfulness, you know, isn't, a, is, isn't about escapism at all. And it's not about just being in the present moment. But it, it is, as Viktor Frankl's quote, there's a space between the stimulus and response. Therein lies our power. And so mindfulness for me is, is, an, is a great tool to drive that wedge into the stimulus and the response so that we aren't so reactionary, but we are response able. 
And just, just being able to have a sense of, okay, how am I? You know, what do I like? What do I not like? What's, what's, what's the health of my sort of internal system here? And then, okay, what's the health of my physical well-being? You know, this, this, this body that I am demanding so much of, how am I treating that? How is it carrying me around the day? Can I expect it to continue over the next 10 to 20 years if, if I, you know, continue, if my life were to stay the same? And then, and then getting into, okay, so I've got myself short up. I'm really solid on the inside. I'm, I'm solid physically as well, or I'm on my road there. Now, how do I connect with what really inspires me? So, you know, there are exercises in my book to write a personal manifesto, to identify your core values, and to write a personal mission statement. They're all tools. You can do one, you can do some, but they're all tools to get you connected about what fires you up, not the guy down the street, not your ex-girlfriend from college that you're still trying to outdo. You know, it's like, (laughs) what is it about you? You know, why are you here, really? Right. Not to be a peacock, but why are you here? What's what's your reason? And then from there, once you have that keyed in, and there are great exercises to get, get you those elements, then, then you can start to fold and braid together a life through your vocation, your avocation, all the ways you can express yourself that have a sense of meaning and purpose in each. It's not to say everything in your life is going to be purposeful and, you know, that's that's too much, right? Because I like play as well. It's, you know, I need some room there too, but it's to say that we can live more mindfully and bring in, we should be bringing at least one or two of those components that get us fired up into what we're doing so that at the end of the day, we're satisfied, mm-hmm. right? We don't have to go buy something to feel better. We just come home, you sit down and it's like, you know, you've got that feeling of like, wow, that was a great day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And nothing really physical happened. It was it was all mental mindset. I, there's a lot of people that would that are very intimidated by the fact when they understand the fact that the power resides within themselves to have happiness and contentment and satisfaction. I, I, I think if we can shift the mindset to say this is very, very exciting to have that opportunity versus intimidating is when we begin to, to turn the corner here and change the world. We'll close on one final discussion. I mean, you coach a lot of executives. And, and if, if uh, let me just say this, this is not, uh, you know where I stand and I believe very strongly in what you're talking about in your message. And frankly, it wasn't until I embraced these ideas that my life turned around. But if I was to observe a bunch of hard-bitten, driven, manly executives walking into an airport bookstore, a lot of them wouldn't pick up Life Incorporated because they would say, oh, this doesn't make me much of a man to have to buy this book. When we, you and I both know that virtually everyone that lives on this earth needs the benefit from the lessons of, of wholehearted living. Talk about how someone who's listening says, well, wait a minute, this is a sign of weakness. If I need to embrace these kinds of lessons, I should just be able to muscle through it. It's it's mission critical to to a satisfying and meaningful life to be able to embrace this. And, and most people are afraid to do so, whether they are intimidated by the work that's entailed or versus you know the perception by the outside world in our culture, which we have acknowledged is <laughs> not necessarily one that embraces this. How do we break through that and, and say, you too can can embrace wholehearted living because it, it will change everything for you? 
Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, Todd, that you asked that question because I thought for sure my demographic for the book would, would pretty much be me. You know, Gen X, female, you know, has had career success, you know, and it's just at that sort of point, you know, that midlife crisis or or just come to that realization that the America, the, the life, you know, the dream life isn't that was sold to us wasn't exactly what we expected. We're just tired now and a little pissed off, quite frankly. And so I just, you know, it's like that was, that's been in my demographics. And I, once I started getting the, the galleys out, because the book isn't out until January 17th, although you can pre-order it on Amazon. But once I started to get galleys out there, I tell you the, the, the most powerful responses were from men. Awesome. And I cannot tell you what a feather in my cap that is because, you know, I, I and, and some of these men, you know, very successful CEOs, very, some very successful leadership authors as well. And they seem, you know, a little bit salty, you know, kind of got that crust on the outside. And, and the truth is, I actually think, Todd, that there's a lot, a lot, a lot of more, especially, you know, men, I, I think women are, are sort of there. We tend to go internal when we sense a problem. We tend to look inside and, and, and this book sort of asks you to go there. And I think men are farther along in this journey than at least I would have given them credit for. And it makes sense, you know, because then when I go back to my time in leadership development and talking with other leaders, there there was already a sense of, you know, either sort of some sort of mindful leadership. I don't know that they would have used that term, but it's what I saw. And a connection with their employees that came from a connection and passion from what they were doing. And you could tell that these, these people that were successful were fully realized individuals. They were not playing small. They were not playing, you know, somebody else's part. They were there because they had a vision. They were connecting with it, you know, authentically themselves. And so it, it was, you know, sort of almost a natural expression of, of success. You know, which is what happens when you witness someone doing what they're, you know, passionate about. It, they just make it look so damn easy. And it's yeah. frustrating, right? Because <laughs> then we go try to replicate it like, well, I want that success. But then you know what? We're playing their game. Right. So we're never going to get that. So so there you go. I, and I, I also think, you know, what speaks to this book, uh, speaks to men in particular with this book is the practical guide piece, right? So again, it's not just the, you know, there aren't platitudes in this book. It's not, you know, oh, geez, if we could all just do this, it'd be better. I'm a former CEO. I had to pay all the bills. You know, I, I want this to work on the ground. And I think, you know, men appreciate that, you know, great, here's, here's a way I can put pencil to paper and actually do this. I don't have to go off and try to figure it myself. I can just get in there and do it. Well, I think you summed it up and you said most of us are trying to play someone else's game. And therein lies the problem because that's not going to be meaningful or satisfying. And, and what I think this book's about is helping you play your game. And, and here's the thing. This gives you – you are allowed to play your game. You are better. You serve your people better. You serve your team better. You certainly serve yourself and your family better when you are playing your game. And so that is okay. You can still be – successful 
in a corporate work environment playing your game. And, and if you're not, well, then you're in the you're in the wrong organization. And that's part of the, you know, some of the hard lessons you're going to learn from going through this examination is that, yeah, I may have to make some changes here. It's because, you know, I, you know, when, when, when you're on your deathbed and you're going to, you're not going to say to yourself, oh, I wish I had made some adjustments so I could have served the company better. No, that's not going to happen. So anyway, well, Haley, Hallie, you and I could talk for another four hours on this subject. Uh, unfortunately, we're we're out of time. In fact, we went way beyond my allocated time. So uh, good, important stuff that we talked about today. Before I let you go, should anyone have any questions, how can they find you? Where can learn more about your work? And most importantly, once again, where can they pre-order Life Incorporated? You bet. Well, there's this website called Amazon, wow. and uh, you can pre-order the book, Life Incorporated. If you just punch that in, the book will pop up. You can pre-order that right now if you want, and the book will arrive on your doorstep January 17th. In the meantime, prior to that, or even after that, the, the website, lifeincorporated.co, so that's lifeincorporated.co, is a great resource. It's basically the conversation of the book picking up. So there are articles and videos by myself continuing to explore each each area of the book as well as resources. So all the exercises that are in the book for those that don't like to write in your book, I will have downloadable uh, PDF versions that you could fill out right online. Because again, like I said, I love tech. <laughs> so yeah. let's make it work for us. And then if you want to email me, please do so. Hallie, H-A-L-L-E-Y, at lifeincorporated.co. Well, you know, I'm going to piggyback on something you just said. Uh, my life changed. I used to be one of those people who said, oh, when I buy a book, I have to keep it intact. I can't wrinkle or tear the, the book jacket or the dust jacket. It's going to be this perfect specimen of book. When I realized that it was meant to be used and reused and used again, and I wrinkled it up and made notes in the margins and highlighted things, that's when everything changed. So I think there's a lesson in that as well. So use the darn thing and and, and leverage it as best as you can. And by God, if you have to buy another copy, well, then that's probably a sign of good things. So, Hallie, great to have you. Uh, so grateful for your time. Uh, uh, good luck with the launch of this, uh, of this great book. Uh, uh, appreciate you stopping by and joining us on the show today. Fantastic. Thank you, Todd. All right. Hallie Bach, the author of a new book, Life Incorporated, a practical guide for wholehearted living and the founder of Life Incorporated. I am your host, Todd Schnick. Join us again on Intrepid Lifestyle, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to Intrepid Media. We appreciate your attention. To receive everything we do, simply go to IntrepidMailingList.com. That's IntrepidMailingList.com and sign up. You can also find us at Intrepid.media and on iTunes. And to support the important work we do on your behalf, a rating and review on iTunes will help spread our work far and wide. Again, we certainly appreciate your support. Now get out there, be intrepid, and we'll see you next time.